0: This Dharma Talk by Joan Sutherland is the first in a series of two titled Bhagavad Gita. It was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico on February twentieth, two 2009. Good evening Bodhisattvas. Mm-hmm. Last week I was uh, talking about the Mahabharata, the great, sprawling, ancient Indian epic of uh, poetry and philosophy that uh, has conflict and love and betrayal and redemption and everything else in it. And um, if the Mahabharata is sort of the autobiography of the human race, in the midst of that autobiography is one section called the Bhagavad Gita, which is a kind of... um, psalm to God or praise song to the vastness that rises right out of that story of human life. From the koan perspective, we might say that it's the trap door under any moment in the Mahabharata through which we might fall or they might have fallen into the vastness. So tonight and next week, I want to look at this praise song to the vastness that arises from the middle of the Mahabharata. And um, talk about a couple of themes that are important in it that also seem to come up for us a lot. Tonight I'm going to be talking about the nature of renunciation and about action and the fruits of action. And then next week I want to talk about Sorrow and joy and devotion and longing and some things that have been coming up in the Kaan salon from the perspective of the Gita. When when Ralph Waldo Emerson first read the Gita, he said, it was the first of books, which is kind of, what an amazing thing. It was the first of books. It was as if an empire spake to us, nothing small or unworthy, but large, serene, consistent, the voice of an old intelligence which in another age and climate has pondered and thus disposed of the same questions which exercise us. So there's something here about why it might matter to take a look at the Gita and the Mahabharata and these other old texts that we do that that Emerson really saw, which is that this is the voice of our kin coming down through the ages to us. This is what connects us into this long, long pageant of, of um, human history and, um, and this great mystery play that is human life. And we can hear and recognize the voice of those kin over time. So it connects us through the ages in the same way that we're so... Um, Concerned now about connecting ourselves horizontally to other people in the world who are alive with us now. So, um, the Gita is a conversation between one of the uh, warrior heroes of the Mahabharata, whose name was Arjuna, and um, This was a time when the lines between the humans and the gods were not so well drawn. And so Krishna, the god Krishna, was his charioteer. And the night before this great culminating battle in the story between these two sets of cousins who are at war with each other, uh, when all the armies are lined up on both sides, Arjuna asks Krishna to drive him out into the space on the battlefield between where the two armies are arrayed. And they get out there and Krishna makes everything stop for for the duration of this conversation. And Arjuna looks around and he sees not only his own brothers and friends, on his side of the battle, but he sees cousins and mentors and people he's known all his life on the other side of this battle. And he basically says, I can't do this. And the Gita is the conversation that Krishna mostly has with, with Arjuna trying to come to some kind of resolution about this most fundamental question, do I act when I know that this act is going to create suffering and sorrow and death? if I think I have to, if there seems to be a good reason to do it. And I don't think there's a, uh, it's an accident that this takes place on a battlefield, you know? <laughs> that it's, this is happening in the most difficult place in human life, the place where we're the most confused and conflicted and we're in difficult circumstances with other people. And it's right out of the, the, you know, the densest, shadowiest, most difficult place that this song arises. And I I also think that it's um, not irrelevant that Krishna causes everything to pause for a moment. Because from what we know in our own practice, even in those kinds of moments, those most difficult moments, it is possible to pause. It is possible to stop and to step back into the moment before, as we talk about it, and see what it's like there before we commit to the action. And in that moment before, many things are possible. Arjuna could decide to fight. Arjuna could decide to leave the battlefield. Arjuna could try to reason with his cousins. There are a million different ways it could go. And so the first lesson, I think, of the Gita is that we always have that choice to stop and step back into the moment before and reflect before we act, and to remember that the trapdoor that the Gita so beautifully describes is available to us anytime, even in those most difficult of moments. Um, <clears throat> so before I dive in, I want to... Um, Heartily acknowledge that this is Jones' tour of the Gita. <laughs> and like most great works of philosophy and art, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And you could go through it and pick out a whole bunch of other quotes that said, you know, what seemed like contradictory things. So that's for real. And it's also one of the things I love about the um, Mahabharata as a whole that it isn't afraid of throwing in all of these different. Viewpoints and emphases and ways of thinking about things and just putting them next to each other and allowing that creative tension to exist and allowing us, each of us, to find our own way through. So, this is my way through. Um, So, the first thing I want to talk about is renunciation, action, and the fruits of action, what we would probably call outcomes today. Gandhi wrote a lovely little essay. Called the message of the Gita, where he talked about what it had meant to him, and he said that his practice was the practice of the Gita, and that 's what had um, you know that 's what he was always trying to aspire to and what had helped him thread his way through so many difficult circumstances and Gandhi ultimately being um, a, a tremendously practical man as well as everything else has a, comp- a different view of the Gita than I just laid out about the sort of praise song or psalm. For him, um, he said that it, was, it, was, it revealed the most excellent way to attain self-realization. And he called the central message of the Gita, the thing that it said that had never been said before, that he thought was the most important thing, was um, renunciation of the fruits of action. This renunciation is the central sun around which devotion, knowledge, and the rest resolve like planets. And Gandhi describes this new thing in the Gita about the renunciation of the fruits of action like this. How are you to be free from the bondage of action even though you may be acting? And for those of you who are familiar with Indian philosophy and, and uh, Buddhist philosophy, action here is taking the place of karma, that it is our, that our actions and the consequences of our actions that bind us to everything else and bind us into this world. So um, how are we to get free from the ways in which karma can bind us even though we continue to generate karma, we continue to act? The manner in which the Gita has solved the problem is, to my knowledge, unique. The Gita says, Do your allotted work, but renounce its fruit. Be detached and act. Have no desire for reward and act. Have no desire for reward and act anyway. That was Gandhi's interpretation. And the Gita itself says, You have a right to your actions, but never to your actions' fruits. Act for action's sake. And do not be attached to inaction. So he's saying, the Gita is saying, the opposite of not being attached to the outcome of your actions is not inaction at all. Self-possessed, resolute, act without any thought of results, open to success or failure. Or um, as the Tao Te says in its pithy way, do your work, then step back, the only path to serenity. Which not it? do your work, then step back, the only path to serenity. Um, in another place, the Gita talks about the kind of equanimity that it's describing. With no desire for success, No anxiety about failure. Nothing that you expect. Nothing that you fear. Content with whatever happens. So that's a pretty good list. No desire for success. No anxiety about failure. Nothing that you expect. Nothing that you fear. Content with whatever happens. So this is what is meant by the renunciation of the fruits of action. Okay? Which is the central... Uh, message according to Gandhi of the Gita, and I want to pick up on a couple of elements in that. The first is the do not be attached to inaction. So the the idea is not therefore just go to sleep, you know, or take drugs or something. Um, in another place, the Gita says, "Not by avoiding actions do you gain freedom from action, and not by renunciation alone can you reach the goal." No one, not even for an instant, can exist without acting. Do any actions you must do, since action is better than inaction. The whole world becomes a slave to its own activity, Arjuna. If you want to be truly free, perform all actions as worship. So, that's kind of interesting. Perform all actions as worship. That The point is not to not act or to be passive, but to change how you feel and think about acting, change how you approach acting. Um, In another place, the Gita speaks a little bit more about this idea of all actions as worship. It says, "When, when all actions are worship, God is the offering, God is the offered, Poured out by God, God is attained by all those who see God in every direction. Um, the Gita speaks in the language of God because it was a, it is a theistic uh, philosophy and religion. But it's really easy to make the translation, I think, into the the vastness or Buddha nature or however you want to see, whatever whatever that that thing is that when we experience it, we have, a, we have a feeling of awe. So whatever that is that brings us to that feeling of awe, Buddha-nature is the offering, Buddha-nature is the offered, poured out by Buddha-nature, Buddha-nature is attained by all those who see Buddha-nature in every action. And um, there's some beautiful passages Throughout, where Krishna is speaking of himself, but he's speaking from the perspective of the vastness or the Dharmakaya or God or Buddha nature or, or however we see that. And from that perspective, he says, I am the ritual and the worship, the medicine and the mantra, the butter burnt in the fire, and I am the flames that consume it. I am the father of the universe and its mother, essence and goal of all knowledge, the refiner, the sacred ohm, and the threefold Vedas. I am the beginning and the end, origin and dissolution, refuge, home, true lover, womb, and imperishable seed. I am the heat of the sun. I hold back the rain and release it. I am death and the deathless and all that is and is not. So if that um, feels a little bit grand, in another place, um, the vastness speaks and says, I am the taste in water, the light in the moon and sun, the sound in air, the fragrance in the earth, the humanity of humans. to perform all acts, actions as worship is to remember that this is the context in which you do them. You do them in the context in which you know that everything you see and experience is that, however you see that. Um, to perform all ac- actions as worship is to know that that's the context. Um, it, it's to know that 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 vastness, that Buddha nature, is everything that you pick up and put down. It's everything that you plant and prune, um, create and preserve and destroy. It's what you're talking to or about. It's what you're seething about or yelling at, what you feel tender towards. All of that. So that's how every action can be worshipped. Another question that often comes up in terms of action and the fruits of action is the question of getting it right. How do we get it right? How do we know that we've gotten it right? How do we discriminate and choose? And uh, one of my favorite passages in the whole Gita, which is is just so dear to me, says, It is better to follow your own Dharma badly than to perfectly do another's. (laughs) You are safe from harm when you do what you should be doing. (laughs) Find that sort of consoling. <laughs> so it's better to sort of bumble along and really try to find your own dharma. And dharma in the Vedic context was um, your your role, your relationship with other people, your duties, um, what you do in the world that is particularly yours to do that harmonizes with everybody else's dharma simultaneously. So that's what you're supposed to find is that that way through, that path through. And better you should do your own badly than do someone else's perfectly. Um, Just a couple of other comments about renunciation because that can be a tough word, you know. That can have sort of resonances that are are uncomfortable. But here this renunciation is the very specific (coughs) renunciation of the fruits of our action renunciation of our attachments to what's going to happen by what we do. And Gandhi says um, really clearly that renunciation is not indifference. To renounce the fruits of your action is not at all to be indifferent about what happens. It's a very different thing. So he says one who gives up action falls. So if you think that the answer is just to be passive and not do anything, you collapse. You fall. There's nothing happening. One who gives up only the reward rises. So if you give up the attachment to the fruits, you're elevated, you rise. But renunciation of fruit in no way means indifference to the result. I regard... I, mm, uh, I have a funny thing I did when I transcribed this... Um, In regard to every action, one must know the result that is expected to follow, the means thereto, and the capacity for it. So you have to have an idea of what you expect is going to happen as a result of what you're doing, how it is you plan to do it, and um, whether there is the capacity in the situation for this result to actually occur. One who, being thus equipped, is without desire for the result and is yet wholly engrossed in the due fulfillment of the task, is said to have renounced the fruits of your action. Wholly engrossed in the due fulfillment of the task. So this kind of renunciation is um, a way of thinking about right action. Krishna says, Know that right action itself is renunciation, Arjuna. In the yoga of action, you first renounce your own selfish will. So what's being suggested here is that the first movement is to renounce your own selfish will, and that renunciation leads to then the renunciation of the fruits of our action. And then finally, Gandhi says... Renunciation is not attained by an intellectual feat. It is attainable only by a constant heart churn. So um, we'll take up the nature of that heart churn next week when we talk about um, sorrow and joy and longing and desirelessness. Thank you. This talk is offered as a benefit for members of Awakened Life. If you would like to become a member or give Donna to John Sutherland, please visit awakenedlife.org.